You ready? I'm Lisa. And I'm Kelly. And this is Bad at Boundaries, the podcast where we share personal stories about setting boundaries, healing, and growing into the people we want to be. Get ready to laugh, sigh, and draw the line with us. Super easy first take. (laughs) (laughs) We're recording already. (laughs) Wow, you you started early. All right, Kelly, where'd you draw the line this week? I want to talk about... Um, the idea of imposter syndrome mm. and ego death because I think you can't it's hard to separate those so I'm going to set the stage a little bit okay I'm in. I think I've mentioned that I spent some time as a teacher I like I I talked about like the fact that I I knew going in it wasn't going to be my forever career mm-hmm. um so I taught high school English for four years and I taught at quite a small private school Mm-hmm. Um, so we we were part of an international organization, so all of the schools were provincially certified or certified where they were located, mm-hmm. but there were schools all across North America, um, in the Caribbean, in the UK, in New Zealand, in Australia, and it, it was small. So in those four years, I went from covering a one-year mat leave mm-hmm. to being the second most senior teacher in the building my second year there. And what? <laughs> for those of you that might not know this, in Alberta, when you graduate with a Bachelor of Education, you have an interim teaching certificate. It's like the equivalent of a GDL. You have to teach for two years and then get assessed to get your permanent certification. What? So my first year, like full year at that school... Um, another teacher started covering a mat leave in February. Mm. I started covering a mat leave May. The next school year started, another teacher goes out on mat leave in October. So we have three first-year teachers Yeah. and a teacher who had been there for nine years. What? She leaves at the end of my first year there. I find <gasps> out that the, the teacher that I was covering for mat leave wasn't coming back. Mm-hmm. And to replace the teacher that had been at this school for, for nine years, I referred one of my friends from elementary school. So we kicked off my second year at this school with three teachers who were 23. Two of us were turning 24 in October. Oh, my God. One had just turned 24 and one was 26, only because she went to a school where you have to do an undergrad and then your ed right. after degree. Babies, though. Yeah, so the the oldest person in the building yeah. was, was 26, oh, kicking off the school year. The oldest they, person in the building is 26. Oh, my God. They ended up hiring um, a, a school secretary who was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so just had a little more life experience but yeah we kicked off the school year we didn't know how to like write out field trip forms and things like that because usually when you're teaching at a public school like there are admin staff to do stuff like that but because we were such a small community school oh my god there was a lot of like extra admin work that we kind of just like so it was literally just like you and the like what three other teachers yeah what and that was like the whole staff yeah Kelly, Until they you added the school secretary. <gasps> oh my god! Yeah, so that was my second year teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, what the? <laughs> keep in mind, we had fifteen students in the whole school, like one five. 
Oh, okay. Um, we were teaching on Zoom before it was cool. So <laughs> that year, that second year, I ended up getting certified in BC as well. So I could teach right. over Zoom and add a couple extra students to my classes. Like mm-hmm. previously, they've been blending grade levels, but with tech technology advances, mm-hmm. they could have students from different provinces and different cities be in the same class so wow if I was teaching like grade 10 English I would have the kids or students Mm -hmm. from Edmonton and Calgary for sure sometimes Abbotsford by my third year I was certified in Saskatchewan as well oh my god Kelly um, teaching kids from all over and I was running the Canadian branch of the student leadership team. So it was only 30 students, but it was Canada-wide. So That's crazy, Kelly. There was no on-the-ground organization, and I feel like anyone who had to adapt or work from home mm. knows that with Zoom, you lose casual interactions. Like, people can't wander into my office, so yeah. you have to have regular, structured meeting times. Mm-hmm. And I didn't run the meetings. I left that up to the students who crashed it wow it's student leadership like it, I <laughs> would have go. been doing them a disservice if I didn't give them some autonomy yeah and then I actually turned down the role of English subject lead that that year because I was like I took on student leadership like I was in student leadership when I was in high school but that was a minute ago and mm-hmm. there's some different considerations when um it's more their virtual activities being considered mm-hmm. we one of the events, this is a dilly-dally, was a Battle of the Bands on Zoom <laughs> that yes. some of the parents were convinced would be phenomenal to do live. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely not. No. The sound delays would just not give the students the due credit. No. So we compromised. The students would, they submitted, like, MP3 recordings. Oh, my God. So they could, like, take their best send their best take yeah they had lots of time to work on it like any big homework project oh my god they could practice record fine-tune this submit is my it. dream working but like. we still did live performances we just like knew that it was for fun and yeah. it was to give them a chance to perform mm-hmm. more than to like really be able to judge the um like the audio quality yeah yeah that's not the important thing yeah especially because like different campuses had like different mm-hmm. speeds of wi-fi depending oh if you were like in a city or like more rural yeah but I did end up taking on the English subject lead role my fourth year mm. wow. which I I think about this a lot I probably should have said no again because I already knew I was gonna leave at the end of that school year um. I was taking I started taking online classes my third year there as kind of a way to bridge like an education degree with mm. like getting some more like business yeah courses because teaching has a lot of soft skills that translate well um, oh absolutely I use I just have an ESL um, mm-hmm. teaching certificate I use those skills every single day yeah like but those strategies of learning to talk to people are so valuable mm-hmm but at the time when I was kind of planning this exit, I was like, I need to stack my resume. I need it to look so good. And now looking back, I'm like, this looks like an inflated resume. Like, oh, yeah? I feel like any experienced teacher looking at this was like, you were English subject lead as a fourth year teacher. Yeah. How many options were there to choose from? Like, how big was this pool? Was it a competitive role? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Part of why I got picked was I was willing to push back mm. when books got banned oh god (laughs) in the middle of me teaching them 
So Whoa, wait, what book? What book got banned that you were in the middle of teaching? King Lear. And we had to what? replace it with Hamlet, which I, yeah, if there's anyone what? listening that knows those two plays, I still do not, to this day, like, don't have an answer for why they decided Hamlet was a better fit than King Lear. We, yeah, anyways. Okay, okay. But they, we were in this unique situation where there was, like, community input from the parents of our students, and yeah. then there was also, like, the educational director um, and they were like, we need someone who's going to be outspoken enough mm. that they can advocate for the other teachers, but someone that is also going to be respectful of the parents' beliefs. Right. And so now looking back, I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm feeling proud again of, of like being asked to do that kind of role. And then part of me is also like, I also have a hard time saying no to things. And <laughs> they knew that by then. Oh my gosh. Um, but anyways, I think then leaving teaching and going into tech, I had so much imposter syndrome because I was like, I've never taken a business course. I didn't know how to use Excel. Does, to be Does fair. Does anybody, <laughs> like, come on. Yeah. We all know how to Google how to use Excel. Yeah. I have come a long way. I didn't even know how to, like, sum a column. Oh, I, I, I don't even know what that, what you just said means. I fully, like, can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. It should be a secret, but now it's on going on the podcast. So I, I severely broke a spreadsheet, like, my last day, and I just didn't tell anyone. Oh, no. I don't know what I did, but I was finishing up my expense report, and, like, you know, it's my last day, so it's like, I gotta get this in today. Um, I severely, severely broke that spreadsheet. I have no idea what I did. It was presenting, like, negative results that weren't even, like, I thought maybe it was like, oh, it just has a minus side. I don't know what I did, Kelly. I severely broke it, and it's the one everybody uses in the entire company for all their expenses. And then I just left. Did you <laughs> did you try to fix it, or did you just leave it broken? Because if you just left it, that's the best thing to do, because okay, the did. next person that looks at it can control Z that. Uh, well, I just... I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I left it, and then I saved it. <laughs> so yeah. I think, I think uh, you know, I was done. But anyways, there was okay. And tell me if you recognize this. I swear it was a PSA, but I've tried to Google it and I can't find it. Mm. It could be like a milk commercial for all I remember. But it's it's this child's voice that's nobody's good at everything, but But everybody's everybody's good at something. something. What's your thing? What is that from? That's from a okay. I can see the ad channel. No, it's on YTV. The year is two thousand three, maybe two thousand four, and it's like basically no it's from concerned children's advertisers and they're trying to boost and remember there's a kid he has like the beetles on his eyes he's like my thing is bugs (laughs) (laughs) oh my god yeah yeah i yeah yeah and i think a lesson that i had to learn uh in my like first tech role was how to get out of the way um yeah so in that role like again had this experience similar to when I was teaching where I started in a customer success role Mm -hmm. a year later I was a program coordinator less than six months later I was a um, project specialist less than six months after that I was the team lead yeah but it was again kind of a last one standing situation where like other people were leaving and Mm -hmm. there was turnover and all of a sudden I was the most experienced person in the room and I'm going to 
not be humble here. Like I learn fast because I'm naturally curious and learning is fun for me because my brain works in the way that like most information is presented. So mm-hmm. which I like fully acknowledge that that is an advantage. But I can read things and retain things pretty well. Yeah. And I think yeah, one of my biggest fears like professionally is asking someone a question then being like oh it's on this document that we've all had access to <laughs> dude that is my biggest fear and then it's like well why haven't you looked at it and it's like, yeah. yeah my biggest fear is not doing my homework <laughs> <laughs> but like I I kind of relate to the imposter syndrome slash I think it is an overachiever thing too mm-hmm. or a perfectionist thing like I know I like being in control of things things work better when I'm in control that's just how it works for me for the people around me it's working in this podcast like I'm aggressively Mm -hmm. refusing to hand over any information to you for some reason (laughs) and so far it's working yeah haven't burnt out yet but like that happened to me in my old job where I like I kind of came in and it was my first job after COVID and I was eager to do a great job and I did and then all of a sudden I was getting like too much like work on my plate like Mm -hmm. to a point where it was like no like a human being can't sleep and also get this work done like that it's just not possible and what ended up happening was my boss quit and then all of a sudden there was all this pressure for me to step into his role and be the head of the marketing department and I was like looking around being like I'm on a temporary contract I have been here less than six months how am I the head of the marketing department now like this makes Mm -hmm. no sense and I think Sometimes it can be a situation where, like, the right people aren't in the position, so it, it does just kind of turn into who has the capacity to take this on. But also, I think if I had gone for the marketing manager job, I think I would have done great because of, like, my skill set. So you almost can't let mm-hmm. the circumstances of how things fall into your lap, mm-hmm. like, make you feel like for some reason you didn't earn it. Because if you hadn't earned the job, like they would be asking you for it they would have to be insane to ask you for it you know yeah and I think part of what that I know like I could have done a better job of Mm. um is that we worked with co-op students Mm -hmm. so paid internships that was like the whole point of that company I worked for at the time um (laughs) wait the the tech one or the the... first one yeah okay yeah yeah we Mm -hmm. did work integrated learning um and I feel like we always say like Canada makes fun of the U.S. for the fact that unpaid internships are a thing. But I'm like, we have co-op semesters where students pay tuition to work for free. So, like, we haven't solved the problem either. Anyways, we had these students who were getting paid. um, And I had a hard time giving them the right amount of work to do Mm. while utilizing their full potential. So it's really easy, I think, when working with students to kind of give them, like, the busy work, the the tedious aspects. Mm and keep the like more creative probably more fun tasks for yourself and also keep the more unique aspects Mm -hmm. to yourself because if there's a repetitive task you only have to train them to do it once and then they can keep doing it done yeah and like I have a teaching background like I know how to teach you would have been great yeah it would have been fine um so my my first summer working with um a a co-op student Mm. like aggressively underutilized her (laughs) and she is so smart and is 
doing so well and thriving. <laughs> like, I'm um, sorry I didn't believe in you. Because that's sometimes what it can feel like. Like, somebody yeah. doesn't believe in you if they aren't giving you any work. Yeah. And I did write her a pretty good reference, so I hope that helps. It's fine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, the next summer, um, we had a, a co-op student that had worked with someone else mm-hmm. returned and ended up on my team. And because we knew each other, she could be like, we can do more than this. And I was like, oh, oh okay. Nice. And I shouldn't have needed to be told. Mm-hmm. But one, good for her for, like, speaking up to a manager and being like, mm-hmm. we want stuff that's, like, a little more exciting. Mm-hmm. And I was like, great. So a lot of projects that we had kind of started brainstorming on but didn't have bandwidth to execute, we were like, oh, let's give that to these students and see what they do with it. They fully owned that for the rest of the summer because they presented it to us. And I was like, great, we're doing it just like you said. Like, I'll add some tweaks just because, like, from the subject matter expertise. um, And then we'll get this, like, up and loaded. And I think one of the benefits to, like, working on Zoom is that it's really easy to just share your screen and have people like follow along with what you're doing. Yeah. One of the downsides of Zoom is (laughs) that like if you're in person, you get to listen to all the conversations around you and sometimes you get a bit like a more well-rounded picture of what's going on. Yeah. Um, But, and this is something we learn in teaching all the time. There's this cliche that's like, you don't want to be the sage on the stage. You want to be the guide on the side. Yeah. So teaching pedagogy is shifting to be like it's your job to empower people Mm -hmm. to know how to learn and -hmm. know what they need in their environment to learn well and know how to ask for that so Mm -hmm. teaching people how to feel confident and how to advocate for what they need Mm -hmm. is going to take them further in life than teaching them how to memorize paragraphs from a book especially now that google is in everyone's pocket oh my god yeah and i feel like part of being a good teacher is trusting your students like making making it clear that like the expectation is is not perfection the expectation Mm -hmm. is that we collaborate on this and that you have enough faith in yourself to come up with the answer without me needing to tell you or like think your way around an answer or improve on something like Mm -hmm. it all kind of comes down to confidence whether it's in the workplace you know having the confidence to ask for what you need or having the confidence to say no to something like that that is something that I'm still learning how mm-hmm. to do myself is knowing when when my plate is full and mm-hmm. when I don't need another helping of anything, you know, yeah. but like that that is a skill too. Yeah. You know, that you you just have to learn. Yeah, and I think just knowing when to let go of things. So mm-hmm. I think it's really easy to get attached to things that you launched. Mm-hmm. Um but sometimes there needs to be fresh insight for things to stay good mm-hmm. because you need innovation people Mm -hmm. have I don't want to say short attention spans but it's like people don't want to hear the same thing over and over again like they they want to be delighted um (laughs) so I think giving making sure that there's room for people to like speak up Mm -hmm. and making sure you have a variety of like opinions and experiences Mm -hmm. I had a really cool experience once where I was part of the team interviewing my future manager oh my god (laughs) which again was I felt like an imposter because I was like how am I supposed to assess this like this is Mm -hmm. someone that's supposed to come in and and assess me (laughs) get me to do better yeah but the advice I got was like well figure out like would you be excited to learn from this person Mm -hmm. and then like ask some questions based on that and there was lots of support like the 
I didn't even have to write all my own interview questions, it turned out. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> that was nice. But uh, one of the people we, we interviewed, um, and I'll fully anonymize this just for, for <laughs> privacy, but they mentioned that their management style was creating an environment where they could learn as often as they taught. Oh, okay. And so, like, immediately that person has my vote. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, that's what you want to learn. You want to have somebody in a position who you can be like, hey, let me teach you something, and they're receptive, you know? And I've, I've been in unique positions where I've taught people who are younger than me and less experienced. I've also... Mm-hmm. trained people on something specific mm-hmm. when they are people who are much more experienced than I am. Right. So I think it's also remembering that nobody's good at everything, but everybody's good <laughs> at something and like owning your something mm-hmm. and not trying to fake that you can do everything is yeah, a good lesson mm-hmm. and I think learning to let go of things, learning where your expertise lies and figuring out like the balance between those mm-hmm. and setting those boundaries and, and sticking to them actually made me way more confident mm-hmm. so being able to say say no or say like I think maybe I'm not the most qualified person to do this especially if you can like suggest another teammate and be like yeah. I know that this person is much better at like this mm-hmm. or has the skill set that I just don't have like Excel spreadsheets or yeah. some of those organizational things I'm like I know my limitations mm-hmm. but at the same time like figure out where you want to grow mm-hmm. and make sure that you're giving yourself like a little bit of a stretch goal sometimes as well I think okay first of all I was so excited when you told me you wanted to talk about like imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and ego death and stuff today because that's that's like what I've been working on the last mm-hmm. like year in therapy and the, the thing that made the biggest impact for me in terms of imposter syndrome is realizing that, you know, that little voice in my head that tells me I'm stupid or I'm not good at something or that I don't, you know, I'm not good enough to be in a room or everyone's judging me for being in that room. I, I kind of had this realization that everybody has that voice and it's mm-hmm. not just like me and my broken, weird little goblin brain mm-hmm. or anything like it, it's literally an ongoing narrative that everybody has all the time it doesn't matter if you're talking to the person who's like selling you a pair of sneakers and a sport check or if you're talking to the ceo of a multi-million dollar company they're they both have the exact same narrative in their head which is all their limiting beliefs projecting onto them and telling them they're not good enough not smart enough not pretty enough not wealthy enough like everybody has that everybody Mm -hmm. is literally just pretending they don't all the time we're all faking it till we make it and Mm -hmm. like okay whole little like dilly dally just to talk Mm -hmm. about this so i read tarot cards Mm -hmm. if if y'all didn't know that that's a thing i do i've been reading for i think like 13 years 13 15 like somewhere in there it's been a long time so i like i have a spiritual practice i engage in and like how do i want to phrase this Within that spiritual practice, I've come to realize that imposter syndrome and ego death are like two sides of a coin. Mm-hmm. They're very closely linked and they the reason what links them together is the fact that they both prey upon your limiting beliefs that you set upon yourself. So like for anybody who doesn't know what a limiting belief is, a limiting belief is essentially a story that you tell yourself that you believe is your truth. To give you an example of that, I have this friend, uh, 
I'm not going to say his name. But basically, like, we grew up here in Edmonton together, and for as long as I can remember, he's been, like, a fucking nightmare to drive anywhere with. And first of all, he he will never drive. Like, he hates driving with, like, his whole being. And every single time you're, like, in the car with him, he's, like, crazy about, like, backseat driving. Like, he's, like, always correcting how you're holding the wheel. He's, like, always, like, checking the mirrors for you. Like, one of those people, like, okay, like, you're good on this side, so, like, whenever you're free. Oh, you're not free. Like, one of those people. Just, like, totally backseat driving. I've been in the car with him when he's had a panic attack before because like the traffic is too intense and like oh. for years I was just like so it's a control thing it hold on okay hold on, get hold on. Get ahead a little bit so like so my friend he he is aspiring to go after like fame and fortune which hell yeah go for it. he basically wants to be a Netflix star like god bless him but when he told me he was moving to LA all I could think was like dude there's like nothing but traffic there and you have to drive. Like, he, he does not personally drive, like, at all. He Does he drive. have a license? He has a license now, because hence the story. So he, he told me he was moving to L.A., and I was just like, do you even, like, know how L.A. is for traffic? Like, are you insane? Like, you, you can't get anywhere by bus. Like, you're going to have to drive. And he was like, oh, like, I'll, I'll just deal with it. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to, like, you know, move to L.A., live that lifestyle. And I was like, okay, cool. So, of course... <laughs> He moves to L.A. and it's, like, instantly such a problem. And he's, like, calling me and, like, crying and super upset. He's, like, I tried to get to this audition and, like, now I'm on the side of the road because the traffic is insane and I feel like I can only, like, get places, like, if it's not, like, peak traffic time. So he's, like, telling me all these plans he's making to, like, drive to the part of the city his audition is in and, like, stay over overnight go to the audition and then like wait until like evening when the traffic isn't as bad which like it's LA it's always bad bad. (laughs) and then he'll like drive then and I was just like dude like you need to address this like at that point is it cheaper to just uber seriously yeah but even like being in the car with him like he is like high level anxiety it's not just like driving that he's scared about it's like he does not like being in the vehicle at all like that alone will give him a panic attack especially if the traffic is crazy Mm -hmm. and some drivers are unpredictable so it's a very valid especially like I can only imagine place like LA like all the traffic so he's like basically this was during the pandemic and or right before the pandemic and he went on this like journey to fix his mind during the Mm -hmm. pandemic he had all that time and he was like I'm gonna figure this out so he starts telling me how he's going to therapy he's like starting to meditate and like he's always laughed at me for like my tarot cards like my spiritual practice which involves a lot of therapy and a lot of meditation Mm -hmm. and he was always kind of making fun of me for it so it was like my greatest joy in life when he started doing it and he out of nowhere one day he's like I'm gonna go see a hypnotherapist and this is what's gonna fix my brain yeah. Like, I'm going to get hypnotized. Can and, we sidebar for a second? Yeah, let's dilly-dally. If someone makes fun of you for an activity... Ugh, I know. I don't want an apology from them later for making fun of me. Mm-hmm. I want them to, like, shamefully admit that yes. they finally tried it out <laughs> and they understand the hype. Thank you. That's that all, is the most gratifying feeling. All I've ever wanted in my life is to be told that I am right. <laughs> That's <laughs> all I've ever wanted. Um, so, yeah, he tells me he's going to hypnotherapy and he's going to, like, fix his brain. And I was like, I'm, you know, very proud of you. Really hope it works. And he starts telling me about the, like, hypnotherapy session. And the guy's like, 
you know, basically they're they're starting off with the like this is your fear to drive, and we're gonna like trail this all the way back because like he's never known why it's freaked him out so much. Like I can't tell you how many times I've been like screaming at him like. Why, why are you like this? Like, you need to calm down. And he never really, like, talked about it with me or even, like, addressed it in any way. And what he realized during this hypnotherapy session is he kind of traced this fear he had of driving all the way back to his earliest memory he had. And he realized his her- his earliest memory he had associated with driving was his mom getting a call on her cell phone while they were in the car that his uncle had been killed in a drunk driving accident. And he realized, like, one of his first memories, like, involving cars, involving, like, driving, it was, you know, seeing his mom crying behind the wheel and having to pull over. And uh, I did clear, like, I'm I'm okay to say all this. Um, (laughs) And, uh, like, you know, then having to go to his uncle's funeral. And he was quite young when all this (laughs) happened. And then, like, the level of anxiety going forward from like his parents on like safety in the car and like being safe and it kind of became this like big group anxiety traumatic thing and like you know this guy who I'm friends with he's like a grown man like he's in his 30s now and he still has this dehabilitating like non-functional fear so like he had this limiting belief essentially that cars meant danger Mm -hmm. cars meant grief cars meant anxiety so of course he didn't realize that was at the root of it was this one memory and through hypnotherapy he was kind of like oh that's just all related back to like this one moment and like as a full-grown man I know every time I get in the car I'm not going to die because every other time I've been in a car I haven't died so like that's Mm -hmm. not true for me getting into a car does not mean death like that's that's not true And he was telling me, like, as he, like, went through the session, he kind of, like, had this moment where he experienced, like, a mini ego death. Do you you know what an ego death is, like, in a spiritual sense when I Mm -hmm. say that? Okay, if you don't know, basically an ego death is a loss of attachment to your current body, circumstances, and experiences. It's also, like, an ego death can be triggered by a sudden detachment from an overarching limiting belief. So he kind of had this moment where he was able to separate himself from this trauma that was, like, really impacting his life, his career, like, everything. And he saw him, he was telling me, it's like, he just saw himself as this expression of just learning across experiences just you know a collection of experiences that triggered fear love some sort of emotion and he was really kind of like left with this very broad expansive empty feeling and it only lasted a moment but he was just like the relief I felt to be like oh but none of it mattered like Mm -hmm. none of it really truly matters because it only mattered because I was putting all this emotion on it once the emotion is gone the meaning's gone Mm -hmm. so it was like he he came out of that hypnotherapy session and he just felt he had only fully detached for a moment like fully separated from himself but he was like it's like being reborn again and being like oh that's the like why I am the way I am and it was like he just like had this huge release so like to me the ego death like a full ego death where you're fully like completely separated from your experiences your society your community like none of it matters i don't think you can be that way and function 
no. as a human in society because you need to care about the people around you. Like, it's an instinctual thing. Yeah. You and know? apathy would be, like, a mental health red yeah, flag it, for me, too, if that was, like, a sustained yeah. way of that someone was surviving. Yeah, it's just you, like, all animals, and humans are animals, have a drive to survive. They have fear built in to, like, keep them surviving. Once you detach yourself fully from, like, any possible fear like and I I know a couple people like this who are like big in the spiritual community who just like fully are like yeah I'm just like a bunch of stardust in a human body and nothing I do matters and like the or or the people who are like this is all a simulation so like nothing I do matters like that I think is almost like I want to call it toxic spirituality where you're just disconnected yeah you're disconnected from reality and no longer participating it's like okay yeah like nothing has meaning to you but your apathy is hurting the people around you which Mm -hmm. again you don't even care because you're like this is all hallucination or whatever I I also think on the flip side it's important to understand that not everything is going to have like the butterfly effect where a butterfly flaps its wings (laughs) there's a tsunami on the other side yeah but recognizing that we contain multitudes and Mm -hmm. there are many different elements that make up someone as a person Mm -hmm. I think that allows you to kind of soften towards yourself if you make a mistake so Mm -hmm. if you make up in one area of your life like you still know that there are other things that you're good at yeah maybe there's some things you need to work on and you need Mm -hmm. to learn and and grow or Mm -hmm. sometimes unlearn like previously held beliefs yeah but recognizing that you can be learning and growing and doing a good job and messing up all at the same time yes and you should be doing all that like that's kind of like in my opinion the point we're here to learn we're here to have some fun Mm -hmm. like make mistakes get messy and I think in terms of what you were talking about with imposter syndrome I think kind of using that tiptoe towards the ego death of whenever you are feeling inadequate in some way like yeah sometimes you will be inadequate absolutely Mm -hmm. but other times it's like now hold on pause this fear I'm feeling this anxiety let's sit with it for a while can I think of another time that I felt this way in my life can I think of a time earlier than that that I felt that way Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes when you know where we're really speaking down on ourselves it's almost like handy to be like <laughs> I know Hunger Games is big right now so I will make a Hunger mm-hmm. Games reference but like real or not real like mm-hmm. is this a is this a real fear that I'm having right now or is this feeling just a projection of all my other learned experiences and anxiety that comes yeah. from that learning you know because sometimes the anticipation is more impactful than the actual event absolutely And there's definitely exceptions, but I also think a lot of the times what I'm most nervous to do Mm -hmm. are the things that are the best for me to do. Because Mm -hmm. if if you're always sticking to what's easy, Mm -hmm. maybe you are trying to perfect the way you do a certain thing, and Mm -hmm. that's fine too. But often the way to get better at something is Mm -hmm. to become like a more well-rounded individual Mm -hmm. and learn learn something new that Mm -hmm. is adjacent but learning is never a straight path like you're Mm -hmm. not gonna it's not climbing a ladder as much as it would be nice if it was like one step after another Mm -hmm. it's more like it's snakes and ladders that's what it is yeah it's snakes and (laughs) ladders or it's like actual like 
natural geography where sometimes when you're hiking up a mountain Mm -hmm. you realize you have to go downhill for a while Mm -hmm. and you have to lose all that elevation (laughs) and then you're gonna have to redo it all to get to the actual summit oh love that but like yeah I just feel like imposter syndrome it's so hard it's so hard to tell when when you actually are the imposter you know Mm -hmm. like I almost liken it to like a game of clue where it's like who's the murderer like is Mm -hmm. and then finding out oh shit was me <laughs> like yeah but that doesn't happen all the time and it's okay if occasionally you are the least experienced person in the room mm-hmm. or you kind of talked your way in somewhere and you aren't really sure how you how you got there the point is you're there right now mm-hmm. make make the most of it whether it's taking on a new challenge or like you said before knowing when to say no knowing when to give somebody else a shout out and like pass it along but again that's a skill you get as you yeah. move forward yeah, I got really good advice when I was student teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, It's one of those pieces of advice where you hear it and you're like, how did I not know this intuitively? What? <laughs> but it was like, if you aren't 100% sure of the answer, mm. like, don't fake it. Because in situations with students, they're still learning how to evaluate information. And there's a lot of trust between students and teachers that, yeah. like, we are feeding them good information. Mm-hmm. So my mentor teacher was like, if a student asks you a question and you're not prepared to answer it, get them to Google it and then get them to like share what they find and then talk about which answer is the best answer and talk about why another answer might not be a great answer. Because I think something that we forget, and I was thinking about this today, even just um, scrolling like through social media sometimes, Yeah, there is a lot of confirmation bias that happens so Mm -hmm. if you are stuck with a limiting belief for example you're going to find evidence that supports it yeah um so if you think that you're bad at something you're going to be looking for all the examples that prove it Mm -hmm. whereas i think once you learn to just accept that everyone is imperfect but Mm -hmm. growing and you think about the progress that you're making instead of the potholes along the way Mm -hmm. then I think it's a lot easier to like keep the bigger picture and like in mind and actually get to the big goal um, without getting stuck on like the speed bumps along the way. Um, I listen to the song every morning um, and Mm -hmm. I have been doing it every morning for a year and it's called Making a Move by Lady Bree. And mm-hmm. it's basically a song where it's like no matter what the circumstances of this day turn out to be, I'm still going to make the most of it. I'm still going to find a way to have fun. I'm still going to find a way to like move forward in my journey and feel good at the end of the day. And one of the lines in the song is, speed bumps only make you aware. Mm. And I thought that is such a wonderful way to look at those little missteps, those, those little mistakes we make along the way. It's just a speed bump. And why do we have speed bumps on roads and parking lots? It's so you check your speed. Yeah. And you take a moment to like pause, slow down, and, and, and reconsider the route where you're going. So whenever you do encounter a speed bump, whether it's in your own head, at work, in your relationships, it's just an opportunity for you to evaluate mm-hmm. what's coming ahead and whether or not you want it. And if you think about it, speed bumps are there so that you consider other people. They have mm-hmm. nothing to do with you. Yeah. They're for the people that are walking around that... Mm-hmm shouldn't be hit by a car going fast (laughs) well yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly you want to draw the line there yeah i think that's a good place to draw the line um you guys can follow us bad at boundaries on instagram and tiktok 
you can send in a submission. Yeah, you guys, badatboundaries.com, submissions tab. If you want our advice or need help setting a boundary, uh, hit us up there. We have some merch up there as well. New designs are incoming. I think I'm going to try to start doing a new design like once a month. So uh, mm. take a look on there. Please buy something from us. Yeah. <laughs> it would just be cool. <laughs> yeah, we can match. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. And you can follow me on TikTok at littlestbeer. And Kelly, you're... I'm first name, dot last name everywhere. Exactly. And easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's draw the line. Let's draw the line. Bad at Boundaries is a podcast created by Lisa Hennig and Kelly McGillis. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Bad at Boundaries. Thanks for listening.